Luke 15 and 11. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he, is, because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave, you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, has come home, you killed the fattened calf for him. My son, the father, said, You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because your bro this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. If James would come up and pray for James as he prepares to speak to us this morning with what God has laid on his heart. Heavenly Father, we bow before you this morning in the worthy and precious name of the Lord Jesus. We thank you for the words of the prodigal son, this parable, that for many of us, it's like a mirror. We have seen ourselves in our journey. But Father, we are so grateful that no matter how far we think we have fallen, how distant we think we are from you, that that distance, is, is that gap is closed by your love for us. Father, we thank you that you are not just that Father that sits upon that front step wondering if we're going to come back. Father, you look for us. And when you see us coming home, Father, you don't just sit there, you run towards us. 
So, Father, as James prepares to speak this morning, ask your blessing upon him with what you have laid upon his heart. And, Father, we remember to pray not just for James, but for each of us that this is not a Sunday morning only. Father, you have called us into relationship with you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Father, bless James not only in what you have given on his heart this morning and with this, this congregation, but in his daily walk with you throughout the week. These things we ask now, giving our heartfelt thanks once again for the one who loved us and gave himself for us. In Jesus' name, There's always a danger when the prayer is like better than the sermon. <laughs> uh, did I leave the clicker guy back there, Caitlin? Seems like the kind of thing I'd do. Nope. Oh, it's there where I put it. Excellent. I'm Jane. I'm the pastor here, and I am a uh, professional person who also forgot to put his mic on this morning. So we'll see how the rest of this goes. Uh, <laughs> I was. <laughs> Bill, uh, who just did our prayers, asked me to speak at Scott Mission at their worship service that they have once a week a few weeks ago. And it was really cold outside and really early in the morning. And the people that go to Scott Mission, it's primarily for street-involved people, aren't allowed into the building to a certain point um, for various different reasons. Um, So I, I turned up and I present as someone who maybe looks a little bit homeless and so I was waiting at the door like knocking to come in and they're like no no you can't come in yet (laughs) I'm the speaker (laughs) the guy still didn't believe me like he was like no (laughs) Bill likes to introduce me as his pastor just to kind of look at the response that he gets I think But I'm a pastor, and we're very pleased that you're with us at Wellspring today. Yeah, I also don't know what this setup is exactly. Like, it, it's not my plan to, like, go into story time or something. That seems a bit weird. I'm just going to move this. I like to stomp around and not fall over things. So, there is a grand party. There's an amazing party. It's the best party that we will ever know. And the great news, the best news about this is that everyone is invited to this party. But there's also some bad news. And the bad news is that everyone's invited to this party. Last week, we started our series on the parables of Jesus and begun by talking about what we often call the parable of the prodigal son. And there's so much in this story, in the reading that we just heard, that I decided that I would spend two weeks on it. One on the younger or the prodigal son, and one on the older son who, let's be honest, does not sound like a real fun guy to be around. Just a quick recap of last week for those of you that were snowed in or unable to make it. We learned about really just how awful the younger son is. How everything he does is such a cruel affront to his father's love. And that it's actually possible that that repentance he offers isn't even a sincere repentance, even as his world collapsed around him. But despite all of the things that he had done to hurt the father, still the father loved him. He welcomed him. He restored him in all the ways that he had broken those relationships with those around him. 
And really what I want people to take away from last week's message was how deep the Father's love goes. That This story isn't about earning the Father's love, but realizing that we have always been loved all along, and there's nothing we can do to change that. That being said, last week was this really lovely, positive message about how we're so loved and great and wonderful, and this week's message is kind of more corrective, I guess. So if you weren't here last week, I'd really encourage you to listen to the sermon online so you don't just think I'm a monster that yells at people the whole time. Also, the only person that listens to the online sermons is my mum, so it would be good to like increase that. <laughs> The reality is that so often when we tell this story, we end it where I ended it last week. The younger son being restored by his father. Because that is really an easier story for us to tell. Son messes up, he comes back, father loves him, everyone parties! Cool. And who? Who doesn't love a good party? This does not is not my idea of fun, by the way. <laughs> but apparently not everyone does enjoy a good party. Because there's one notable exception to who is there, and that is this older brother. Because there is this great party going on, and the really bad news, the bad news that eats the older son up to a point where he cannot enjoy anything, the bad news is that everyone is invited. This beautiful example we see of biblical homecoming, it's really quite offensive to him. Now, to give the older son his credit, he's kind of understandably upset about the state of things. When we hear his list of complaints, it's like, well, I've done everything right, and this son of yours has done nothing right, and yet he gets the celebration I don't, I don't understand. He's always done all these things right. Where's his party? Where's my party? And I can't go in and enjoy the party because he will be there. So who doesn't enjoy a good party? Here's the thing. Sometimes heaven and hell can exist in the same place at the same time. It's just a matter of our attitude in that moment. Think of like going to the theater and seeing a movie that you hate but everyone else around you seems to really be enjoying. They're in heaven, you're in hell, but you're in the same place. It's just about your attitude. It's about your heart in that moment. I was trying to think of a better example, and, uh, and this admission might get me fired because there's a bunch of Canadians in this room, but here goes. I hate camping. <laughs> I hate camping. I hate camping so much. I like my bed. I like air conditioning. I like... Uh, the, an internet, yeah, 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 exactly, yeah, that's right, that's right. I like an internet connection, I like being able to cook properly, and when you go camping, you're in a stupid bed on the ground, and there's bugs, and there's, let's see. Ooh, hold on, oh wait, did I see it? Bears, there's bears! <laughs> and I have to cook some beans over a like an idiot. Everything about camping is terrible. Terrible is terrible. It's just awful. Anyway, this ought to say, if we were to go on a camping holiday together, 
I would be in hell and y'all would be in heaven. Rest assured, my complaints would probably make it pretty hellish for you two. <laughs> but we're in the same place at the same time. It's just a matter of perspective. And that's exactly what is going on here. The younger son, the family, the servants, all the guests, they're in heaven. They can enjoy what has happened, but the oldest son feels no joy. What's more, it seems that his younger brother's joy makes him all the more angry. Like, how dare he have this kind of homecoming? And, and this is where I start to feel really convicted. Because I think this might resonate with some of us today. Sometimes we feel that if, if someone else is having all the fun, it, it must be at our expense somehow. That there's only so much joy in the world and, and other people are hoarding it all. And that's why we got to do a week on the older son as well. Oh, good. We've got rid of the bear. Because <laughs> if there was nothing else to learn from this parable, Jesus could have cut the story off at the younger son's return. I mean, that, that seems like a beautiful and complete story, but he continues. And it only makes sense for him to continue if the older son is lost too. We've had the lost coin, we've had the lost sheep, we've had the one lost son, and now we hear the other. Remember that Jesus is telling this story to Pharisees whilst in the company of tax collectors and sinners. Those same Pharisees who think that they are following God's commands perfectly, whose words were thoughtfully similar to the older sons, haven't I done everything you asked? But these Pharisees also seem to take no pleasure in the good news that Jesus is sharing, that this good news is for the broken and it's for the outcast and it's for the sinner, it's for all those people that weren't welcome before, that weren't allowed in before, that weren't at the party. The people who historically have never felt that welcome. Both the Pharisee and the tax collector stand in the presence of the Messiah. And one is in heaven and one is in hell. Because the tax collector has been told, it doesn't matter what you do. The Father loves you. And the sinner's been told, it doesn't matter what you've done. The Father loves you all. Jesus is talking to that religious elite who as he quotes in Isaiah elsewhere, says, these people come near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And that's exactly what the older brother is doing here. He's honoring his father with his lips. He's done everything right. He's saying, remember all those things that I've done, but his heart is so far from it. Notice how that he can't even bear to call him father. The younger son who's got everything wrong refers from his father multiple times. The older son never does it's so insulting he's so insulting what is powerful and beautiful in all of this is that the father stands outside and pleads with him all the same 
You've insulted me, it doesn't matter. You've actually done exactly what the younger son has done. You've insulted me, you've belittled me, you've shown that I don't matter to you, and yet I'm here. Because this is a loving father who cares for all his children, who loves all his children, regardless of the ways that we get things wrong. So getting real practical for a second, who are the people that maybe we don't want at the party? We all have them. Or maybe you don't all have them. Maybe you're better people than I am, and I have them, and you can listen to me work this stuff out. But there are certain people who I know will definitely only make the party worse. And the good news for me is that I'm right to not want those people at the party, because Scripture even tells me they're not welcome to the party. And that's a really nice place to be, isn't it? When Scripture proves that you're... Exclusion is right. And it's a place I spend too much time, too much time, wasting time and energy thinking about those people who aren't invited to the party. I was um, was in a class at Wycliffe last year, and I didn't get on so well with a lot of the people in this class. This story may illuminate as to why. This was a class, and in this one particular class, we were talking about what the Bible says about ministry to the poor. And I'm like, oh man, (laughs) this is my jam. Uh, It's nice going into a place thinking you have all the answers, and at least being in a space where you're just going to agree with everyone. That's nice sometimes. I just want to be in a space where I agree with people, and they agree with me. And so... The professor asks, right, so what does the Bible say? First hand goes up. I promise you I'm not making this up. Proverbs 10.4 says that being lazy will make you poor, but hard work will make you rich. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> that's where we're going? That's, that's what you're pulling out? Second hand goes up. This can't be worse. Well, Acts 2 says that they shared everything they had among them, and that shows that we shouldn't give anything to non-Christians. <laughs> And I'm I'm beginning to sink in my chair a little bit. Third hand, we probably just shouldn't talk about it because economics is complicated. (laughs) What are you going to talk about then? (laughs) And it went on like this, and I just sunk further and further into my chair in, in despair. And after the lecture, I went up to my professor, who's wonderful, and said, like, I'm really sad after that. Are you sad after that? And she said, James, I'm very sad these people want to become pastors. And she was right. And the more I thought about it, the more angry I got. And the more excited I was about the fact I knew they wouldn't be invited to the party. And I started fantasizing about what it would look like to debate them like in front of some poor people so they could like say that to their face. Or in front of a half-decent biblical scholar so they could like roll their eyes about how they haven't got the narratives of scripture. And... And like scold them for their complete ignorance of the constant reminders of God's heart for the most broken all the way through scripture. It's really hard to open the Bible and not find a page about it. And then I was like, yeah, I want to do this in front of many people as possible so I can look smart and smug. And I could tell them how glad I am that they're not invited to the party. 
But that's the problem. Which brother am I in this situation? I'm the older brother. And everyone is invited to the party. And as I stand outside that party, getting more and more angry, questioning the father's judgment about why he would let them in, screaming about God, about the damage that they'd done to Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, and that's the part that really hurts, I realize that I'm no better than that older brother, proclaiming my own righteousness and ignoring my actions and my attitude and my heart in that moment. I don't want these younger sons getting this beautiful homecoming that the father wants to offer them. Instead, I protest, don't you know what they've done? Don't you know how they've disgraced you? And of course he does. He knows but he's still out there with me. This is a lesson I've been learning for a long while now. Uh, I'm reminded to some words... That's why I was growing up. My sister is a beautiful person. Uh, here's my sister and I. Uh, <laughs> so, like, we're, we're, just to be clear, we're dressed up for like it was a, a VE day celebration. That's not how we dressed for school in England. <laughs> it's like a throwback. <laughs> my sister's amazing and, and such a good person. Uh, but during our teenage years, we didn't always get on that well. And the reason for that is that I was perfect and she wasn't. <laughs> Which my parents probably wouldn't necessarily agree with. But it, it put a real strain on things in the Shoal household. And one time my sister was being particularly bratty and said something unkind to my mother. And I, ostensibly to defend my mother, but not really because I just wanted points to get on her good side, like jumped in there and yelled at my sister defending my mother. And my mother yelled at me. And I'm like, wait, why am I the one getting yelled at? She, she was mean, and I'm like defending you. This isn't right. And my mother, who is much wiser than I am, said, James, I don't need you to defend me. I need you to love your sister. The God of the universe doesn't need us to defend him, but he really does need us to love him. The older son in this story, he's supposed to be greeting the guests. Like, that's his role. It's his, the, he's the only waiter at the ceremony that's allowed to, like, greet people properly. His role as waiter was super important in the context, in the time, and he's neglecting that. He's neglecting the one thing he's supposed to be doing so he can tell the father how wrong he's getting everything. just so he can tell the father how unfair it is <laughs> that he loves all his children equally. And how often do we find ourselves in that same place? And how busted am I that when the father says and pleads with me, but I, I love you and everything, every, James, everything I have is yours. My first response is, well, that's not enough. <laughs> everything you have is not enough if they have it too. How can I feel good about having everything that they have? But it's really easy to fall into those traps. 
And I think the church has been falling into those traps as long as the church has been around, sadly. And it's especially easy to fall into those views when we look at the Bible through the lens of rules rather than the lens of relationship. If we look at every line of scripture as this doctrinal statement rather than looking into God's story, looking at how God's heart is revealed and the arc of scripture that bends towards love and bends towards justice and bends towards equality and bends towards welcoming more and more and more and more and more. This is this kind of an uncomfortable thing that maybe we need to admit. But the Pharisees are kind of right. They're just doing what they've always been doing, and actually they're doing what we often do ourselves. When the Pharisees excluded people because they were sinners, they were doing exactly what their scriptures told them to do what they've been doing for centuries there are rules in the Old Testament you know and that's that were their, the only scriptures they had they're part of our scriptures now it's the only scriptures that the Pharisees had that said imperfect people can't come to the altar of God and we'll get into why that is another day and why it doesn't apply anymore more importantly but understand the Pharisees these older sons they're only doing what scripture tells them to do But they were following the words and not the story. And those words made it very easy for them to stand outside the party, defending the father who never actually asked to be defended. Only that they loved their siblings. And when you're standing outside getting angry, it makes it really hard to go inside and celebrate. They look at the words, but not at the story, not at the heart of God. Not at the story of radical love and radical welcome and radical homecoming, which I will keep going on about this year. And there's there's so many issues that the church has continued to make mistakes on because we've focused on the word and not the words of the scripture, not the heart of them. Often uh, the older brothers who were very, very sure kind of serve as a bit of an embarrassment to us now. Uh, at the elders meeting the other day, Bill, Bill, you've come up a lot this week. Good work, man. Uh, Bill was saying how he's going through the Old Testament in Deuteronomy and how fascinating it is that, you know, if he listened to just those words, there's no way he could marry his wife because they're different races, and Deuteronomy seems to forbid that. (laughs) If you're only looking at the words, that's where we end up. And for a really long time, Christians used this as an excuse to say that there were certain married people that weren't invited to the party. And there's a picture which will... There we go. Race mixing is communism? (laughs) Uh, Stop race mixing... The March of the Antichrist. 
Like, this isn't that long ago. Some of y'all were alive when, when these things were happening. These older brothers standing outside telling God <laughs> that people aren't welcome. And you know what? Wellspring would look real boring <laughs> if we didn't have any mixed-race marriages. Also really empty, I realized this week. Like, I need y'all to stick around if possible. Otherwise, it's just me and Dale and Donna, basically. <laughs> so who are those people that stop us from going into the party? I can ignore the elephant in the room, or I can point to it, and I can mention our siblings in the LGBTQ2S plus community. Some people that, yeah, if we look at the words of scripture, it's really easy to exclude and really easy to say, well, they're not enjoying the party. But if we look at the story of what God is doing and what he's been doing for such a long time, there's simply no way they're not in there enjoying the party already. And it's up to us whether we go in to join them. What is beautiful in this, and something we need to remember, is that the Father knows how hard it can be for us, regardless of where we stand. He finds the sons both times. Yeah, when we're so busted that we can only crawl to him, he finds us then. But also, when we feel that other people being at the party means we can't be there, the Father's heart is to plead for us to join, even in disagreement. It's really difficult to leave these conversations here, which is why the last sermon was so much nicer to preach. I just want to do that every week, really. But, but what I can say and what excites me, and it really excites me, and when people ask how things are going at Wellspring, this is what I tell them. That whilst we work through this question for what it means to be a place where everyone is welcomed and loved and respected, that so far we've done that with so much respect and so much kindness to one another. The thing that excites me more than anything is that people that might be on different ends of the spectrum, whatever that looks like, is they say, you know what, I might disagree with people, but I can still love them. Because I do know that it is important this space be a place where people can be loved and welcomed and respected. And that means I can party with everyone, even those I disagree with. I want to be part of that homecoming. I want to be part of a church family where all are welcome. Now, there may be many morals to this parable, but not one of them is the Father's demand for uniformity. He doesn't say... You have to forgive your brother. He doesn't say you have to agree. He doesn't even say you have to be okay with it. He says your brother was dead and he's alive. We want to be a place that welcomes dead children. God doesn't demand uniformity. How boring life would be if we were all the same. And how boring church would be if we all agreed on everything. I don't need that. I don't need that from a community. I need a community that stretches me, that pushes me, that asks questions that are difficult, that struggles through them together. So going forward, I want everyone here, and I do include myself in that, how you're responding to that Father's invitation of celebration. Because remember, it is exactly that. We're not told whether the older son enters or not. 
But that joy and that celebration, that's happening regardless. What other response is there for people finding their way home? Whatever response is there for the dead being brought back to life and knowing that they are loved and there's nothing they can do to lose that life? There is a wonderful party. And the good news is that everyone is invited. Let's pray. Father, a few weeks ago, we as a congregation asked where we saw ourselves in this story. In the last couple of weeks, we've thought about what it means to be that younger son crawling back to you. Love regardless. And this week we ask those times where the older son, unable to join the celebration, because we've misunderstood just how far your love goes. Father, we pray that we can be a community that loves one another, that loves the people that we haven't met yet, that loves the people, even the people we've lost. We thank you for your unending love and grace that is poured out on all situations, well, but especially on situations where people that love you are trying to work through what loving you is. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.